Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store. Like now, go. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hi, Tom Kerridge here on the BBC Good Food Podcast. This week, I'm speaking to a great chef, Tom Booton from the Dorchester, about his favorite dish called All the Chicken, which I can't wait to hear more about. Tom grew up in Colchester and started his culinary journey aged just 15, and now is head chef of the Dorchester. Again, still quite young, but has been on that journey for a long time. <laughs> Tom, tell us a little bit more about how you got to where you're at. Well, thanks a lot for having me, firstly. Uh, great to be here. Uh, yeah, so a bit random, really. At, at school, we used to do work experience, but I went back to my old school the other week, actually, and they don't do work experience anymore, which I think's a bit of a shame, especially because we're all crying out for chefs and front of house people at the moment. So I got sent work experience to uh, a local restaurant called The Toll Booth, which is free rosette restaurant, really great. And basically, that was my kind of learning. That's what, that was my college. That was my foundation. So I worked there for five years, did a years on all the section. And then thought, if I want to do this seriously, you have to move to London from being from Colchester. It's quite close by. So you, age 15, at work experience, what was it about that kind of work that suddenly made you go, this is where I want to be? I'm not going to go and do A-levels. I'm not going to go to college. I'm not going to go and study at university. I want to be in a kitchen. You just fall in love with it, don't you? It must be the same for you as well. When you go into that team with the boys and girls, you've got that camaraderie and it's just the most amazing thing. And you work hard and play hard as well, especially when you're younger and you just turn 18. So leaving school, into that kitchen, stayed there for five years, mm. worked on every section. Was there one that was your favourite? Oh, Back then it was the garnish, but it's definitely not now. <laughs> no, but the garnish was good. And then being on meat as well was amazing. And it's really great foundation of your learning. But once you move to London and you go into that Michelin world, we say you really 
make it professional and try and do everything as perfection as you can. So talk to me through. So you, you left Colchester, you decided to move into London. What yeah. was the point? Where did you go to? Who, who, Whose kitchens did you apply to and where did you end up? I applied to loads of kitchens, actually. My first trial was uh, uh, Jason Afton's Poland Street. It just opened. It was about two weeks open, actually. Uh, and I loved it. It was really great. But then the next day, I got the train back home. Next day, came to Liverpool Street again. I was walking around uh, Berkeley Square, actually, completely lost. And this old little lady helped me, actually, bless her. And she was like, what are you doing, love? Because you didn't really have Google Maps then. And uh, yeah, she took me to the Westbury Hotel. So I rocked up there and that's when Alan Williams just opened. So we just won the Michelin star as I started. And yeah, Alan's like my dad now is my chef dad. Me and him always chat and he's he's a big, big part of my life. He's an incredible, um, uh, brilliant uh, chef. But not only that, he has a, a huge understanding and compassion and warmth about him. Yeah. And he's very good at bringing through young, young talent. No. And clearly he's done the same, same with you. And um, so that time at the Westby, would you, would you say that's one of your kind of like founding moments of going, okay, this is where I can really start honing my skills and the skill set that I've, uh, that foundation, that understanding that I picked up at the Tollbooth? Yeah, no, definitely, because you moved to London and the Tollbooth was, we were quite tight on stuff, I guess, only one on a section when you moved to London and Alan Williams back then, we were really pushing, there was six of us on the larder section, it was, everything had to be as perfection as it, as it could be for Alan to keep him happy, pretty much. Uh, but that was a massive learning curve and it was, yeah, I owe him a lot for it, really. And then from Alan, you moved on, where did you go to next? So after that, I went to, uh, I heard about a young chef who was 25. I think he was the youngest chef with a star at that time, actually. It would be 2013. And it was Andy McFadden at Lorch Pied. And uh, yeah, I went there. And I remember cooking for you, actually. You and Beth came in one time. That yeah. was a long, long time yeah, ago. Yeah, it was a great meal. Great I remember cooking meal. your grouse. Yeah, no, I had a fantastic <laughs> meal at Lorch Pied. It was absolutely stunning. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant restaurant. Brilliant restaurant. And Andy was a great cook. So, and then from there, it's, it's, I've got it. You went to work for one of arguably one of the greatest and bright young talents that we have in this country. And he's, you know, he seems to have been around for ages and his name is synonymous with like cutting edge and great cuisine, but he's still only a very young man. And that's Ollie Debut. Yeah, no, Ollie was amazing. It was super interesting as a chef because Alan had that old school perfection, the Gordon and Marcus days. Andy was young and passionate and hungry and a real driver in the kitchen. And then Ollie for me was a businessman. He had that chef amazing thing about him and his food was delicate and soft and not over-seasoned. He wasn't really about rich, rich, heavy food. He was very delicate and freshness. But what, what shocked me at uh, Dabu, what I learned loads from Ollie, was his business savvy. He was a businessman. He used to tell me how much council tax cost, tell me how much bin collection was, which in other restaurants, you didn't really have that problem. You weren't thinking about it. So no, I think it was probably the first time that Ollie actually had to think about <laughs> it, though, isn't it? I mean, if yeah. you think actually as being a head chef, and then that was his own business, own his business. first time of owning I think a space. He must have been the only one in London, I guess, yeah, actually. young man, but he worked very 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 hard to open that restaurant and and you know you now look at what he's achieving with Hyde and yeah, he's amazing. an incredible chef and it's interesting you mentioned his cooking style there where he's got this he is about freshness and mm. the lightness of touch and one that's his food is is fragrant it's alive and Alan's food is I would count as quite similar to myself that kind of rich deep flavoursome in yeah. terms of like heavy and braising and cooking and Levels using of flavor, yeah, definitely. understanding butters and dairy 
airy and <laughs> kind of like everything that Ollie Debout kind of like swerves <laughs> yeah. where he goes for this beautiful kind of uh, I, I, I suppose a, a subtlety of touches where does your food at the Dorchester now sit in in that realm of those sort of those great chefs who you've learned to cook with where where does your food now sit well I guess I'm still learning I'm still young a baby myself so we we as a team, we get better and better every day. And How old are pushing. you? Come on, let us know. Let us make. Well, let us all feel old about ourselves. By the time this comes out, I'll be thirty. So yeah. Whoa, the ripe old age <laughs> <ripe> of thirty. <laughs> I don't feel it. I feel older to be honest a little <laughs> bit. But the hangovers are kicking in now. So, uh, so obviously, you, so you were very young. You were twenty-seven, taking up the head chef yeah. position at the Dorchester. Well, I, when I after I left Ollie, so I worked a year and a half with Ollie at Dubu, and that's when we were just talking about Hyde. And then Alan got back in touch with me and said, "I need a head chef." I've got another little project I want to work on. I want someone to come here, young, passionate, creative, and really keep the team together. So that was an amazing, amazing, especially the highlight of my career was to be head chef for Alan Williams. At, I was just 24, 25 to four rosette, one star. And I was there, I did it for three years, which most probably is the best thing I'm happy about in myself in a weird way. So I take my hat off to him because I don't know why he let me do it, but yeah, it was great. Amazing. And then opening the Dorchester and then opening it's your own space it's you mm. know your your name your your recognized as being the head chef there and where where where's your style of food sit you know you, you going back to being head chef for Alan and, and using those kind of like really solid foundation in French techniques where would you say your food sits now I guess we use a bit of everything I use from when I did my six month stages around the world as well in New York and Copenhagen and Iceland I use a lot of them recipes I learned over there and you try and marriage them all together you know but obviously making a menu the older I get the more I realize that a menu has to be balanced it doesn't matter if you just make a really beautiful rich dish but the whole menu from a from a guest point of view is the most important sometimes we as chefs we just taste one thing but to eat the whole dish and have the whole menu and enjoy that whole experience for a couple of hours you really need to think about the the menu but our food is fresh there are really heavy elements as well so we have a bit of everything for everyone I think and is that because the the hotel is demanding a more of an eclectic mix and an eclectic taste? Because you know, sat within the Dorchester, one of the most recognised mm. hotels within the world, you've got people coming from all over yeah. to come and stay at that beautiful hotel. So the hotel dining room itself needs to needs to tick a lot of boxes. Yeah, no, definitely. I suppose the same as Corinthia as well for you. You have to you have to make everyone happy. Five star luxury for me is about giving it the most you can and making everyone happy and so they have a great time but yeah and the food then that you cook now how much of that is influenced by growing up you know was food important as a family when you were a child it was but it wasn't as well the first time I went on Saturday kitchen I, I completely mugged my mum off for making the worst bag bowl ever but my mum my mum was a matron she was in the NHS my dad was in the army they're, they're workaholics you know I remember my first chef said to me like he asked me what my parents did the first time he interviewed me for my work experience. And he said, you'll make a good chef if you stick to it. Because my mum was always at work. My dad was always at work. And they were, they were workaholics as well, same as us. So when they got home from work, dinner was a quick five-minute thing. She used to literally, a spag bowl was beef mince in the pan for one minute. All that water's still there. And then she'd chuck the raw tin of tomatoes on top and serve it four minutes later. It was The onions were still crunchy and raw. And it was terrible, and she hates me always saying it, but she still does it now. Yeah, she still does the <laughs> yeah. same. And still now, you've not been able to teach her. No, I know. Yeah, yeah. But what about? So obviously, mum and dad are super busy, working very, very hard. Um, and you know, when you come, when it comes to family meals, it sounded like a bit of a throw together kind of option. But actually, was there a sense of importance having sat there sitting down? Yeah. Was that something that you you kind of like um, you, you, the family embraced and culture? Was it a one 
once a week thing on a Sunday or was it every no, night? No, my mum my was super strict on us all. So I've got a brother as well. So it's me, Sam, mum and dad. And my mum was so strict every day for us to sit around the table together as a family and just, I guess, just talk about the day, moan about the day, whatever. And at the time, I used to hate it because you're on your PlayStation and you want you didn't want to go into chat there. But the older I get, the more I do realise it. For them as parents, I guess it's about being with your child and understanding them and them and us communicating with the parents as well. So no, hats off. It's really good. And sometimes we, me and my girlfriend, Rachel, do it as well because it's too easy nowadays. You just sit in front of the telly if you are at home and you just have your, your chips and your chicken Kiev and you just sit there and you don't chat to each other. So no, communication is key. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. This episode is brought to you by Dove. You use all the right skincare products for your face, but your body has been missing out. With new Dove Serum Body Wash, you can give your body the vitamin C glow it's been wanting, the hydration boost it's been craving, and the active skincare ingredients it deserves. It's time for your body care era. New Dove Serum Body Wash. Get Dove or get FOMO. I love the fact that you have chips and chicken Kiev. It's fantastic. Do you not have chips and chicken Kiev? Uh, all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the time. But do you make it or is it bought from no, a supermarket? No, it's bought supermarket. Uh, bread and oven chips? Uh, I like, yeah, well, I like the potato wedges. There we go, let's see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a you right got coleslaw as well. A right insight into chef world there. <laughs> You're not actually cooking at home. If you don't have coleslaw, then it's not right. Uh, so I was going to, I mean, one of the questions I've got down here is, who taught you to cook as a child? Uh, not your mum, by the no, sound of it. No, 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 it wasn't at all, no. It was just going straight into work at the toll booth, really, and Ian Rhodes was massive help in that. And yeah, they definitely drilled it into me. So that, I suppose, that cultural understanding of food that comes from where you want to be, what you want to do, and the dishes that you want to put together, that hasn't come from being at home. That's actually come from the experience of being a youngster working at the toll booth and, yeah. and how you build your menus and the understanding of um, trying to tick boxes for for guests and making sure that they have a lovely time. Mm. No, definitely. And then, so your dish that we're going to talk about, your favorite dish, which is uh, uh, all of the chicken. Talk me through it. What is it? It sounds, I mean, uh, it sounds incredible. So basically, we all love chicken. For me, on a on a Saturday, I remember my mum used to do the big shop down at the supermarket. It, the treat was you'd be, get the big French loaf, the stick, and get a rotisserie chicken and some salad cream. And that was our little Saturday treat. So growing up, getting older as well, you just can't knock a rotisserie chicken for me. I think it's the, it's the most delicious chicken you can get on the bone, juicy, so succulent. So we wanted to try and recreate that in the kitchen. So we do get quite chefy in the uh, in the method of it, but actually at home you could do it quite more simply as well. So talk me through it. What is it? How how does it work? So in the restaurant we brine the chicken, which is a very 
key crucial point to keeping the to keeping the whole chicken moist and succulent. So ten percent brine is uh, so it's ten percent of salt. So you got water and then ten percent salt. Bring it to the boil, leave it, and then we just leave our chickens in it. So you can do this the day before. It's perfect for a Sunday roast as well. Leave the chicken in there for a good four hours. Leave it in the fridge. Take it out. Give it a quick wash and dry it out overnight as well. Then in the restaurant, we it gets a bit chefy here. We steam it in one of them posh ovens, uh, just so we set the skin a little bit. So we do it quite low for forty minutes, and then we cool it down again. And then we just release the skin from the top of the crown. And then we make a stuffing from inside the legs with a chicken mousse, loads of shallots, loads of herbs, loads of mustard, loads of flavor in there. And then we stuff the skin. So you get right up there, stuff the whole bird. Uh, and then we wrap it up and then we poach it again quickly, just in chicken stock, just so that the stuffing sets. And then that lives in the fridge. And then kind of check on, we roast it in a super hot oven. I've done it at home before. You can do it. So rack your, uh, put the oven on the highest temperature you can get and put the chicken in for about six to eight minutes just to oil it up really hot, really hot oven and put the chicken in and roast it. And you get that blistering skin, all of that flavor and the juice coming out. But the, the meat itself is still super soft. So that cooking process is that little steaming and set and then that little poach and set and then that final roasting that uh, people are going six to eight minutes for the chicken, but you've yeah, actually done that gentle cooking yeah, yeah. and a bit pre-cooking beforehand. And that way, because the one bit that we all love about chicken is that crispy skin. Yeah. And is this way, is it going to guarantee that we get crispy chicken skin? It's crispy, but it's like the rotisserie. The rotisserie chicken skin isn't actually that crispy, is it really? Because they cook it, they put it in that bag. We've all had one of them warm bags when you walk it to the till. And it, you kind of get, it's crisp. Some bits are crispy, some bits are soggy, but I quite like the soggy skin sometimes when it's blistered and when it's cooked. Uh, but you can, it does go crispy sometimes as well. Okay, brilliant. So that's that's the kind of the dish that you you want to put on. The, it's the, all of the chicken. It's the whole thing. It's got stuffing through the middle. It sounds like a, a, a play on like a very classic kind of French style dish. Well, yeah, I guess it's like the classic ones when you cook it in the udder and braise it and bake it. But this one, we just want to take to the next level. So it's coming on a big chopping board. In the restaurant, we're going to do mini little chicken Kievs actually made out of the wings. Uh, and then we make a, out of the bones of the chicken, we're going to make a really rich chicken and kind of chicken and mushroom broth, which you'll be able to drink also. So it's going to be loads of different bits of the chicken. And it's just about the chicken is a humble ingredient, but I think every, everyone loves chicken. And uh, yeah, we just wanted to showcase the beautiful chicken. What about doing this at home? Like, so your first memories of this dish, it sounded, I mean, that sounds delicious, but done in a, in a, in a French dip with salad cream. It's- yeah, it's like a French dip, yeah. <laughs> that would be nice. So so for, if people are going to do this at home and they haven't got a steamer oven or they haven't got, could they just roast the chicken? Is there something they could do and do the stuffing separately on the side? I guess you could. You could just roast it. But I get you could just poach it, even if you get some get some chicken stock, poach the chicken for a good bring it, bring the stock up to the boil, add the chicken in and then take it off and let it go cool into the stock. And then you'll be able to put the stuff in up inside the skin as well. And then you can relax it. You do it the day before. So on your Sunday roast, we always struggle with getting your roast potatoes and your carrots and your parsnips in the oven. So actually, by doing this, the chicken only takes 10 minutes maximum which I think would save people a lot of time, especially on a Sunday. So this is definitely a Sunday kind of dish. This isn't like a Tuesday night tea or a Wednesday. This is something yeah. that with a bit more a bit more effort, a bit more energy going into it because you've got a bit of time. you've got a bit of time. Well, especially on a Sunday, you want to get up, walk the dog, go to the pub, come back, put the chicken in quickly, and 15 minutes later, it's ready. And then you get loads of leftovers as well. So on the Monday, Tuesday, you can always use them up. Is there any type of 
chicken that you want to use in particular? Is there any is there any variant, anyone that you want to showcase, anyone that you use in the restaurant? In the restaurant, you can use the black-legged chicken. The French chickens are beautiful as well. But I think at home, just keep it quite simple. So try and find the best chicken that you can get. Local butcher. Yeah. Is, there, is there any kind of like process or key ingredient that's like a non-negotiable this is how it has to be this is the what has to happen this is the thing that makes this dish so special i think brining it though i think brining the chicken the day before i think a lot of people don't do it you only ever see it once a year when nigella's on the telly and she puts her turkey and all the clementines and all of that brine but i think just taking your time and doing it the day doing all the prep the day before will make your sunday so much easier Okay, so that brininess, that, that also, it always, it always sounds a weird thing if you don't get, you know, the science of it, that you put something into a salt solution that then actually keeps, allows the chicken to stay nice and, uh, and succulent and delicious when you roast it and cook it. So what about, I mean, this is seen as a, um, a classic rotisserie style chicken, a roast chicken, but is there any kind of twist or variation on this classic method that uh, that people could do is there could you could you season it with i don't know peri peri seasoning or dressing could you make it could you take it into a different realm could you take this chicken around the world yeah you could i suppose peri peri be a great shout you could even just get some curry powders and get loads of different spices you've got in your fridge mix it with a bit of oil and then just dress it right on top with the chicken and then just roast it with the spices on top as well yeah deli- that sounds fantastic and what about leftovers i mean i know uh, like roasting a whole chicken um, if there's particularly if there's only the two of you, you're you're likely to be left over with some bits and bobs. What what would you do with that? I think shred it up. Uh, during lockdown, I always did this roasted chicken. To be honest, uh, didn't do it as fancy as we do it in the restaurant, but just brined the chicken the day before and gave it a good roast after poach. And then the leftovers, you just shred it up, shred it all up, leave it in the leave it in a Tupperware in the fridge, and then the next day you can just put it into a bowl. You can make a stock out of the bones, just literally cover the leftover bones once you shredded the meat with some water, bring it to the boil, cook it for about an hour, and then reduce it. And then you can start adding some seasoning in there. You can add some soya sauce, some ginger, some lemongrass. You can go a bit Asian on it. And then next day for your lunch, you've just got the shredded chicken, put some egg noodles in there and put the broth on top. Bring it to the boil and you're kind of done. That sounds a really lovely way of using it up. What about um, you, you, you ending up putting it through stir fries? Yeah. Doing that? Okay. I mean, perfect. What about, um, so uh, the big problem that people have with roasting a chicken is everyone worries about the skin or how long you've got to cook a chicken for. Because, you know, one of the big things I remember, you know, as a kid growing up, that my mum would roast a chicken for like two hours. But <laughs> how long really does it take to cook a chicken? Well, depending on size as well. And you have that classic saying about when the juices run clear, which is true. But really, the key to it is not carving it too quick, letting it rest, letting the heat really penetrate through the through the whole carcass. Because sometimes you'd go too quick and that's when the juices run and you always get that top bit of the fillet, don't you, where it's always a little bit pinky and then everyone gets scared and puts it back in the oven. So I think by just taking your time, cooking it for a good 45 minutes, keep touching it, you can feel at the base of the bird, uh, so obviously the top of the crown is where it's really thin, but at the bottom, if you just touch the two, the two breasts at the bottom, you can see that it's quite firm, and that means it will be cooked. So uh, uh, you're not too worried about the, the the actual cooking process. It's been brined. You roast it for 45 minutes, but the key aspect is the resting. Yeah, that's the bit that allows that chicken to all that all that residual heat to permeate all the way through. And make sure that, that chicken's lovely, delicious, and not too dry. Because the problem you got with chicken, obviously, is the the fact that you got the breast meat that you still want to keep nice and and tender. Yeah. 
but the legs, they need that little bit more cooking. Yeah, so yeah. to get the legs cooked all the way, you, sometimes the breast meat will overcook. Yeah. So if you roast it nice and high and hot, but then leave it to rest, both should cook and be cooked perfectly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, is this a perfect Sunday lunch dish for you? Because, you know, is it, firstly, is your restaurant open on a Sunday? Yeah, yeah. And we do how a lot often of are you dinners. there on the Sunday? That's the problem. <laughs> That's the thing. Because Sundays are normally a good day for head chefs to be off because no, there's no orderings coming in. There's no other of the admin work that needs to be done. It's normally just a case of your great chefs that you employ that cook all the time anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just being able to cook on a Sunday. There isn't the extra things that that revolve around life that you need to do on a Sunday. So I take it, I would assume that you're normally off on a Sunday. Am I right? Uh, Sometimes. Not this week. I was on the larder section. I was running the section for the first time in years. (laughs) But no, I'm normally there on a Sunday because it's a big day for us. It's normally the biggest day of the week. And we get a lot of our regulars coming in. We just, especially in London, it's quite rare to find a place that just does a proper tasty banging roast. So we try and be there and we make it as good as we can every week but yeah, every now and then you take a Sunday off and go for a pub lunch and yeah that's the sort of thing now, do you spend that with family and friends or is that something, a day that you normally try and hide hide away sit on the hide sofa away. yeah hide away catch up with goggle box go to the pub have a pub lunch come back and uh, just lay on the sofa you need one day I think do your washing get, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just get back on top bit of life admin bit of life admin do Sundays the are for life admin <laughs> brilliant now look um, quick fire questions I've got for you now, I'm going to need to hear the first answer that comes into your head. Crikey. What is your most well-read or well-thumbed cookery book? Uh, I love Nathan Outlaw's books. I think they're amazing. Uh, but then next one would have to be uh, uh, Book North. So it's a book by Guna in Iceland, a restaurant called Dill. And I was lucky enough to go and work there for three months, which was amazing. Fantastic. I've also eaten there. It's a brilliant it's a great restaurant. Eh? Yeah, in Reykjavik. It's a great little, small little space. Yeah, really yeah. interesting. Nordic cuisine, beautiful food. Um, music. Now, do you have music on in your kitchen, professionally or personally at home? Uh, well, I, I've got a vinyl and I love vinyl collections and stuff and I love music. So it, sometimes on a set, on a Sunday, I allow it in the kitchen. Sometimes I'm old school as a chef and we don't have music. Depends if we're having a good day or not. In the afternoon, we have a bit of one back and one back and teardrops on or something. We have a little team song, which we put on, especially before a Sunday, just to get us all going. Because it's a long day of Sunday service. Yeah. And what about at home? Uh, stereophonics. David Gray, I just got on vinyl, the new White Ladder one. That was a good one. Uh, yeah. Great. So vinyl, I mean, that's proper old school. And that the problem with that is, though, see, if you're cooking and you've got vinyl, you're going to get grease all over the record yeah. when you've got to change it. My girlfriend does not understand the point of a vinyl. She always says to me, but you have to flip it every 10 minutes. <laughs> I mean, she has got a point. <laughs> so in your day off then, great places to eat that are cheap. Cheap eats. Is it a restaurant? Is it a pub? Is it street food? Is it a market? Where do you go? Where do I go? Well, funny, I just saw him outside, actually. Uh, Hoppers. <coughs> I just live down the road from Hoppers, actually, and my girlfriend loves it and I love it. So we always go there and it's such a great, it's cheap, it's easy, and it's most delicious flavors and food you can get at that price. We're very lucky in London. London's come on. I've been in London for 11 years now, but London is so good at the moment with food. Yeah, there's it's an incredible diverse mix of great food, but there's so many fantastic kind of food scenes that are up and down the country. Bristol is amazing. The West yeah. Country, like not only just because I'm from there, but I've got to be honest, like there's an incredible food scene that's growing. A lot of like great university towns that are now 
diving into that space where there's cheap eats and places that are great to eat. The Manchester food seems brilliant. Yeah. Liverpool is growing. Nottingham, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's brilliant places up and down the country where where there's that vibrancy, where there's that cultural um, uh, drive for whether it whether it's for theatre or music or students or media spaces that there's brilliant, brilliant places to eat up and down the country. So, yeah, London is fantastic, but there actually there's so many places up and down the country. Now, what have you all Always got in your fridge oh, oyster sauce, soya sauce. Normally gone off milk because I always buy a bottle of milk on my day off, pretending that I'm going to have cups of teas every morning before I go to work, and it never happens. And sometimes a, a couple of beers as well. Sometimes a couple of beers. How long do they last? In not there? very long. No, yeah. the milk always goes off. The beer doesn't. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The beer gets used more than the milk. <laughs> I used to work with a chef that would always have a can of lager first time. First thing he woke up in the morning. And my question was, like, I, I couldn't ever understand it, like 6.30 in the morning drink. And, and it's on it. I was going, how do you drink How do you do that? Well, that's exactly what I said to him. Do you know what his answer was? I don't like tea or coffee. <laughs> and that was like, it was a genuine, like, he, did, he didn't find it surprising. He didn't think it was anything bizarre. Yeah, he just yeah. thought, I don't like tea or coffee. I, I like a lager. Like- anyway, foodie <laughs> confessions. What's your biggest cooking disaster? Uh, at home or professionally? Or Anywhere. Where, Anywhere. What's the worst thing that's ever happened? Uh, I remember this one, actually. We used to do outside catering functions in my first job. And I was driving the van. I must have been 17, 18. I was driving the van over the Orwell Bridge. And we it was a hog roast in the back. And I think I driving a bit dodgy and the pig fell in half. No way. Yeah, and we were at this wedding in the middle of a field. And I was trying to carve this hog roast. And the, the thing was just going around and falling off at the same time. That is quite embarrassing. Still tasted delicious. I mean, I don't even know that that's a cooking disaster. That sounds like a driving disaster. Yeah, no, no. My driving's not great, to be honest. Yeah. You don't need, you live in London. You don't need to drive. You can, you can ride a little bike or get on a tube. Um, Tell me a food that you've never tried or something that you'd like to try or a place that you'd love to be that you've never been to. Uh, it was always Japan, but then luckily I went just before COVID. So that was a massive eye opener. Just their culture is amazing, beautiful. It's so, so different to us, which I think everyone should go and visit there. Uh, not too sure, really. I think South America, that would be on my hit list next. I've always wanted to travel South America or India or do both. Hopefully I'll do both by the last day. But Mate, you're only young. You can do them all. You've yeah, got plenty yeah. of time. What about a guilty pleasure? What is there um, that you like eating that perhaps you think if anyone knew that? I'd feel bad about it. Well, not bad, but I love minstrels and Maltesers. I can smash a packet of them every night. Minstrels, well, if you've got to choose one, minstrels or Maltesers, what it, would it be? It changes, really. My girlfriend always asks me as well. Sometimes I like Maltesers because I like the Horlicksy kind of crunch, but they're minstrels. When it melts in your mouth, you can't beat that. Yeah, I, yeah okay. Yeah. You? And it, oh, I would go with Malteser over a minstrel. Okay. I yeah. think. What makes you feel optimistic for the future? I think we all have to be optimistic at the moment and just keep moving. I've got an amazing team around me at the moment, which means I can do all of this stuff and all the other stuff I get up to. So, yeah, I think the team coming into work in the morning and the team are smiling, they're happy. And we're, as a team, we're being creative and pushing forward every day. I think that's that, that's good. It's great. So you're surrounded by a bunch of people that have got kind of a drive and a vision for where you want to go, the same sort of thing. And you can't help but be driven by the team. You know, I've been... 
I've been at Open the Hand of Flowers now nearly 18 years and, you know, it, you can't help but be the only way it's been successful is by having a great bunch of people around you. Yeah. So, yeah, fair play to you, my friend. If you've got a good bunch of people around you, the future is very bright for you. Tom, thank you ever so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you today. I cannot wait to hear your recipe for all the chicken. Um, and everyone else, thanks for listening. And don't forget, you can listen to Tom's bonus cook-along recipe. And for more details, see the bbcgoodfood.com forward slash podcast. Thanks ever so much and we'll see you next time. Bye.